Central Baseball Program. This is your host, Matt Sefcovic, joined by our co-host, Aaron Turner. Aaron, I know we're in the dog days of summer right now. There's not a whole lot going on on the college front, but on your side of things in pro ball, there's plenty to talk about. Before we jump into everything, how's everything going your way? I'm doing good. Summer's uh, summer's coming down to the wire here. School's getting ready to start senior year, so almost there. How are you doing? May not complain. Uh, like I said, you know, just trying to get in as much college baseball content as you can right now. This time of year, it gets a little slow, but with the transfer portal, I guess you know, if we want more to talk about, we obviously have that with the new way of college athletics. So let's go ahead and jump into that and talk about kind of who we lost from a transfer standpoint and from a draft standpoint. And since you are the guru on who leaves the program, I'm gonna let you take over there. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll get it started with the transfers out here. Uh, I'm gonna start with Noah Smith, who actually just yesterday announced his commitment to Illinois State. So he, Noah Smith is going back home. I think Illinois State's gonna be a perfect fit for him. Really excited to see what he can do in that program. Uh, next up, we got Alex Galvan who announced that he is transferring to UCF, who's about to join the Big 12. I think that he can do some big things down at UCF. I think he, a fresh start was very needed for him, so I'm very excited to see what he can do. Uh, Ethan Patera announced that he is going to Jacksonville State, who so if you follow us on Twitter, you may see that an old friend is now at Jacksonville State. Uh, former Cardinal Anthony Silkwood is now the head of player development at Jacksonville State. So there is another Louisville connection there. I think one of the most surprising ones to see transfer out was Greg Farone. Had a really big, you know, kind of up and down season for us. Some big strikeout numbers. You know, he has not announced where he's going to go yet, but we love Greg. So we're we're hoping that he can can go somewhere big and continue to thrive. Uh, also transferring out, we've got Ben Wigman, uh, Brantley Bamberg. Brantley is heading to Walters State, which is where former card Curtis Reed ended up this past season. Uh, Tyler Hawkins and Jameson Richmond round out the uh, transfers out. Do you see any surprises in this list? I think the biggest one, and you touched on it, is it's got to be Ferron, right? You know, he started the season in the bullpen, put up some ridiculous numbers and moved his way into the weekend rotation, had some issues. He'd give up a home run here, a walk there, and it, it, it almost seemed like it affected him a little bit more mentally than it did on the mound, and that would snowball into another walk or another big hit or something, and it, it, it seemed like he could never get in a groove of things. I, I thought he was more effective out of the bullpen than I did out of the rotation, but talking with Greg and knowing Greg, he wants to be a starter. That's what he wants to do. And I, I don't know if the staff, you know, planned on maybe going a different direction with him, maybe with some of the uh, transfers that we are bringing in this year. They're possibly going to take some of the weekend rotation roles. So I don't know if he wanted to go somewhere that he could be a starter. But like you said, haven't announced a destination yet. But I think he's probably going to be the biggest um, loss. And then Noah Smith, and I know I don't know it didn't have a great year in 2023, but his freshman season he saw a little bit more playing time than most freshmen do here at Louisville because of some injuries. And I believe he hit around 314 or something like that his freshman year. And um, I thought he had a bright future ahead of him, but just really struggled um, as a sophomore. So um, I, th I think Illinois State is a good landing place for him closer to home. So I, I hope Noah and all of them for that matter, land on their feet and 
and really have a successful career wherever they go. Yeah, for sure. So then we're going to go ahead and dive into the draft recap here. A uh, number of guys, as always, are going to be leaving the team this year through the draft. Um, to be honest, not as many as what I had anticipated. Louisville only loses four to the draft this year and really no surprises as well. So you start off with Christian Napchik, who was our highest pick this year. The Cleveland Guardians selected him in the fifth round, which was pick 161 overall. His signing bonus was 385000 which was a little bit higher than the slot value. Christian's a guy who I think his draft stock tanked a little bit uh, after this past season, maybe dealing with some injuries. A lot of teams in 2023 don't like those contact first and pretty much contact only type players. And I think that his stock was hurt a little bit too by the chance or by the fact that he never got to uh, play second base while at Louisville, which is probably where he profiles most as a professional. Yeah, you and I talked about that heading into this season. And I, we thought that there was a chance that Keelan may take over as a shortstop in this past season and that Napchik would move over to second just to kind of prepare him for professional ball. But we, we never, never got to see that lineup like we anticipated. Yeah. You know, from, from the outside looking in, it, it's easy to say, you know, why did that never happen? Personally, I think I really would have liked to see Christian get some reps at second base this season, but we, we don't know what those internal conversations look like. So the Cardinals' second pick in the draft was Tate Keener, who was selected by the Milwaukee Brewers in the seventh round. Uh, overall pick was 212, and the signing bonus was 72,500. Um, I really like Tate in this spot. Milwaukee has a very long history of developing pitchers like him. He is a very polished pitcher. Coming out of the draft, he flew a little bit under the radar. I don't really think he had a chance to go much higher than what he did. But I think that Keener in the Brewers system is probably one of the best fits that that could have been out there for him. I think that we could see a very quick rise and of the four in this group. I think he probably offers the best chance to make it to the majors first. Where do you think they use him? Do you think he's a reliever? Do you think they try to put him in the rotation? I mean, he's spent time in both positions at Louisville, you know, every year. It seemed like he started a little bit and he came out of the bullpen a little bit. He closed a little bit. He, he kind of did a little bit of everything. He's a utility pitcher. What, where do you think he's used the next level? I do think that starting off, he will probably get a few chances to start. Well, we've seen a lot of guys come out of Louisville in a relief role that end up getting at least a chance to start before getting moved to the bullpen. Uh, most recent one being Michael Prosecchi, who is still uh, getting starting nods for the, in the Rocky system and doing very well in those roles. So I think that Tate could get a chance to start, but long-term on a major league team, I do think that he is a reliever. So moving on to number three, we got Ryan Hawks. Uh, Ryan was selected by the Seattle Mariners in the eighth round. Uh, pick number 247, and his signing bonus was $75,000. Uh, kind of like Tate, his signing bonus was drastically under the slot value. Uh, there, That was a pair of senior signs right there, and that's pretty expected that they would go you know, so far under slot value. I think they were both in the range of two hundred dollars to 225000 was the value on those picks. 
Uh, but when you're a senior, you know, you kind of get screwed over by the system. That's just the way it goes, unfortunately. Once again, though, I, I think that Seattle is a great landing spot for Ryan. I think that he's going to once again have a chance to quickly rise. I do think that he ends up back in the bullpen. I, I don't think that Seattle uses him in a starting role, but I I really like really like Ryan going to Seattle in a, in a reliever role here. Yeah, you know, I think the same thing. And I was going to ask you what your opinion was too, because I think he's better in the bullpen. And I think that's where he suits the best. And I think that's what's best for his game and probably for the organization professionally. Moving on to our final pick here. And this is the one that we're probably going to spend the most time on because there's a lot that happened around Jack Payton and the Major League Draft. Jack Payton was selected by the San Francisco Giants on day three of the draft in round 11, overall pick number 330. Now going into day three, everybody was saying, what the heck? Why is Jack Payton still out there? To be honest, I don't know. I I think that Jack Payton is a top five round talent. That bat is going to play. And for everybody that was confused about why he was still out there, it is strictly because nobody likes him as a catcher, which I... I could see him potentially playing outfield for for the Giants, but I also do think that he gets an extended look behind the plate. So Peyton, funny enough, was also one of the, or he was the final pick to sign of the draft. He ends up signing for $175,000, which is more than what both Tate and Ryan got, which I find very interesting. That's just you know, the situation of the draft, Jack being a junior could have had a chance to come back for one more season and potentially improve his draft stock. Um, you know, people on social media were asking both you and I, if there was a chance that Jack had come back for next season, I don't think there was ever a chance that he came back. I think that was, I think that was sealed with uh, the recruitment of Luke Nableton <clears throat> out of the portal. And I don't think that Peyton would fit in the outfield the way it stands next year. And he ends up getting 175,000, which is uh, substantially higher than what a lot of, of guys ahead of him got. So I, I do think that Jack got a very good situation. You know, there was a, there was a lot of speculation about how much he would get. And you know, we could take a deep dive on, on the, what the giants did for 20 minutes, but we don't have time for that. Uh, but I'm I'm super excited for for Jack and going to San Francisco. He's also the only one of the four to have made his pro debut. He made it a couple of days ago in the Arizona Complex League. Went two for four with a double, a run scored, and three RBIs. And funny enough, he was behind the plate. <laughs> so Jack Payton is just doing Jack Payton things already in pro ball. You can't beat that. Um, and you know, if you look at Aaron or I's phone and look at our text messages from that span from when he was drafted to. When he signed, I bet we had probably a hundred text messages back and forth trying to convince ourselves that he was going to come back for another season. Um, knowing damn good and well that wasn't going to be the case. But you know, it, it came down and it typically does, but the Giants, and like you said, we could talk about this for 20 minutes. The Giants ended up signing every single member of the class, which is that I don't think that's super common, right? I mean, Aaron, you you can speak to that more. That does not happen often. And so I'll do a brief 
run through of the situation that occurred on the final day where they couldn't sign. So the Giants had ended up signing 19 of their 21 picks going into the final day that Jack could have signed. Uh, Jack and their fourth round pick, Maui Ahuna out of Tennessee, uh, were the two that were holding out. And basically it looked like Jack was waiting to see what Ahuna did. Um, Giants looked like they were trying to save a little bit of money on Ahuna that they could have put on towards Jack Payton. Uh, Ahuna ends up signing uh, with just a few hours to go for a little bit under slot. I think Jack could have gone up to 250,000 somewhere in that range. I think it was, it was some weird number. It was like 249, six or something silly like that. It was right around 250. Yeah. So he could have gone up somewhere in that range. But without the Giants getting penalized, a draft pick for next year, uh, so he ends up signing for that one seventy-five, and only twenty-five thousand of that uh, counted towards their bonus pool since he was a day three draft pick. So I don't think there was ever a question of was he going to sign. It was just a matter of what was everybody else going to sign for that could maximize uh, his earning potential. Because I, I think realistically, if Ahuna would have pushed the issue a little bit more and wanted more money and refused to sign unless he got it at that point in time, then there was a scenario that Jack could have potentially come back unless the Giants were just going to um, take that against their cap. That that Maui Ahuna situation was a very interesting one to follow, like a draft nut like myself, because coming into the year when he transferred to Tennessee, a lot of people saw him as a first-round talent. So if you're Maui Ahuna and you go in the fourth round, you, you're trying to hold out for as close to first-round money as you can get because that's what you kind of hoped for going into the year. His stock tanked a little bit after not having as good of a season as he probably should have had at Tennessee. Um, you know That, that was just an, an all-around weird situation as well. Yeah, and it's just good to see. You know, Louisville only had four guys drafted this year, but when you look at the numbers of since they joined the ACC, Louisville's had 71 71- guys drafted, which is the highest of the ACC, any other member of the conference. The second highest is Clemson with 63, and Louisville has the highest number of players that made their MLB debut during that time with 18. Uh, They're tied with Virginia, who also has 18. I think the most surprising stat when I look at this list is that Miami, since 2013, since conference realignment, all this went down, Miami has had four players make their MLB debut. That's it. This this just seems really, really shocking to me. Um, They've had 59 players drafted and four debuts. That's it. That that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Not my stat. It's um, fifth quarter ACC count on Twitter. They put it out. Pretty good follow if you don't follow them. So I I don't know. Um, Like I said, I didn't compile the numbers, but it – I'm, I'm sure they're accurate in that, but it just that's just mind-boggling to me that they've only had four four players make their debut in that length of time. So I guess now that we've talked about who we lost in the transfer portal and who we lost to the draft, I kind of want to touch on who we've got coming in next season because I think we've got some pretty big names. And the, the biggest one that happened not too long ago is Sebastian Gongora. He's a left-handed pitcher transferred in from Wright State. 
He was the Horizon League Pitcher of the Year, big guy, 6'5", 215. This past season, he was 10-1 and one with a 3.17 ERA. Actually has a familiar foe that he threw against this year. He picked up a win against Kentucky earlier in February. I think it was their second game or his second game of the season. He threw five innings, struck out four, and gave up two runs during that game and the the win over over Kentucky. Um, but like I said, big kid. He's going to chew up a lot of innings. He's up to 94 on the mound. Um, there was a, a above plus ch- uh, change up. So um, just a big kid. I've talked to a couple guys that are a couple guys. I got D1 about him and that covers that territory. And they are super impressed with him and just couldn't emphasize enough how big of a get this was for Louisville. So I think he's a guy that I think when he comes, he commits here knowing that he's going to be in the weekend rotation. You just took the words right out of my mouth. The way it looks right now, I think that we have our Saturday starter. Yeah, I don't think he you – know, Carson Liggett is a Friday night guy next year. He's he's earned that. No one's taken that from him at this point in time. But I don't think you get a guy like Gongora to commit here if he's not in your weekend rotation. So I think he's your Saturday guy next year at this point in time. Um, after that, we got a, a really big bat in Luke Napleton. He's a catcher. I don't know what we're going to do with all these catchers, but we'll find somewhere to put him. Um, he's from Quincy University, uh, D2 school. He led the nation in D2 in home runs with 29, RBIs with 87, and total bases with 187. On top of that, he batted 352, and he was named the Great Lakes Valley Conference Player of the Year. So just silly numbers in D2. You know, the biggest question is how does that translate to ACC play? We, we don't know the answer to that yet. But you, when you see those numbers, I mean, you have to be excited that he's on campus. So another possible weekend arm is Jake Caraba. He's another D2 guy from Lewis University. He was 7-2 and two with a 162 ERA last year. But the most impressive thing uh, about him is he struck out 119 batters in 66 innings. I mean, that's just that, – those are just silly numbers um, for a pitcher. He was named the Rawlings Midwest Pitcher of the Year, and he was a pitcher of the year in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. So, Napleton was the player of the year, and Caraba was the um, pitcher of the year in the conference. I think more importantly about him, though, outside of just the sheer numbers, is he threw four complete games and two shutouts, which is huge. You know, this last year, you know, finding reliable bullpen arms was a a challenge from time to time. So I think having a starter that has the possibility to go deep into games and chew up some of those middle innings will be massive on a bullpen that, you know, sometimes you don't know who the next guy up is. And then finally, the fourth transfer we have coming in is Dylan Hoy. He is a middle infielder transferring in from Marist. In 2023, he batted 245 with eight doubles and four home runs with 16 stolen bases. Not super eye-popping numbers, but a couple of years ago, he did bat 410 in 78 at bat. So I think he has it there. He played in the Cape this year, played with the Brewster Whitecaps with Patrick Forbes. So gotten to know at least one of the Louisville guys. And he's just a kind of a smaller frame, quick guy, plays into McDonald's system, you know, super athletic, um, real versatile. Probably could play a couple of positions in the infield. Um, but I, I think he's 
he's a guy that if he gets on base, he's gonna he's gonna wreak havoc to the to the other team. Yeah, I think that this is a very interesting group. And what kind of sticks out to me here is even uh, this is our really our first year that we've seen this coaching staff really go into the portal and and take on a few players. For those who are not familiar with the D2 conference, the GLVC, you have member schools that are in Illinois, Missouri, Indiana, Iowa. These are the same territories that we are very used to recruiting. You, we haven't seen the coaching staff really go go out of the way yet and you know go across the country. I think that you know it's interesting to see how Louisville's recruiting strategy continues to be these same states and how we continue to win with these same you know states, the talent that's there. And so I, I just think it's interesting that three of the four come from universities that are have always heavily been represented on uh on the campus for louisville yeah and uh, i think it's a i think there's only four members so it's a small transfer class but and you talked about this a little bit the fact that the staff you know did utilize the transfer portal this year i think shows that they see the value in it i mean you look at i mean look at lsu look who won the national championship they built their team around the transfer portal so it works and I, I think there's just there's an adjustment period. And this staff, I mean, they've talked about it time and time again. They trust their recruiting process. So, um, you know, they want to develop the guys. That's how they've that's how they've gotten where they are. That's how they've been to five college world series. So they 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 trust their processes. But when there's talent out here that's leaving some of these smaller schools or or bigger schools for that matter, too, um, you know, why not take a bite and take a chance and you know get them on campus? So um, but just glad to see the staff really um, looking into the portal this year and tapping into that. So next we are going to jump into some of the other guys that are coming on campus via the 2023 recruiting class, which originally was ranked 21st in the country. They have finally updated the recruiting class rankings and taken everyone out that signed professionally. And since they did that perfect game, uh, bumped our class up to 13th in the country. So, you know, it's all said and done. Getting this entire class on campus and none of the members signing is just – it's super impressive. Um, not something you really see in college baseball at a big-time program like this. So, really good to see. We'll kind of run down some of these guys. We're not going to talk about the whole class because we would be here all night long. But according to Perfect Game, Colton Hartman is the highest-ranked player. He was 42nd in the country. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher from Lebanon, Ohio, up to 96 on the mound, big kid, 6'3", 215. Um, he was cool, calm, and collected is kind of how people describe him. You know, doesn't really, you know, pressure doesn't get to him too much. Um, he was very committed to Louisville. I, I, from everything I gathered, you know, somebody that's ranked that high in the class, um, everything I said or everything I read said he was very committed to coming to campus and they didn't want to risk losing him and that draft spot. So you didn't really see anybody bite on him. I don't want to say he went undrafted. I mean, he, he did go undrafted, but if, if he was willing to sign, somebody was going to take him somewhere in the draft. Yeah, that's a, that is a massive, massive arm that is coming to Louisville. I think we're looking at a guy that can contribute from day one. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy that, I mean, we could realistically see him, you know, opening weekend out of the rotation. He's probably not going to be a starter, 
but you know, he's, he's a guy that could be um, a bullpen guy, literally the first weekend of his college career. And then after that, Zion Rose, he's the number 75 player in the country in this class catcher from Illinois. He transferred to IMG Academy. So he played down there for his senior year. He's going to join us here in just a few minutes to kind of talk about his processes, but he, uh, Zion was the number five catcher in the country. He's a big kid, big physical frame. He looks like he's, you know, 25 years old. Just um, he's, he's going to fit right in. But we'll go ahead and have Zion on and see what he has to say. All right, Zion, we're going to go ahead and jump into things. Before we do, just want to take a minute and say thank you for hopping on with us tonight. I know you're busy with school starting and workouts and all that good stuff. So just uh, appreciate you coming on with us tonight. And before we get started, I just kind of want to hop in, going back to your recruitment. What was it about Louisville that stood out? And why did you ultimately decide to commit to Louisville back when you did? Yeah, I think uh, some of the deciding factors that went into it, the fact that it was a Midwest team, or I don't know how you guys, some people say it's South, fake South. Or <laughs> I think they get a lot of Midwest players, though, so – a lot of kids that come into the program I've played with or played against. So um, I think it was a chemistry standpoint that factored into it. And, uh, you know, this is catchers you. I feel mm-hmm. like they Snyder does a good job with all the catchers, developing them, uh, making them into leaders and just, you know, getting them ready for that next level. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that was kind of a hot topic towards the end of the season when the this past season ended, Coach McDonald talked about the facilities a little bit at Louisville and, um, you know, just how they he wants them upgraded. Since he's been here, things haven't changed a ton. How, how does that come into play for you, and how much do recruits look at that stuff? It's definitely a, a huge recruitment tool, um, you know, trying to stay up to par with all these other schools. You know, they have these high-tech facilities, you know. That's definitely a big part, and uh, for me personally, I hope – that I get the chance to experience some of these facilities. Uh, real soon. I know I know we're supposed to be getting the locker room this fall and a uh, better uh, physical therapy training room. So uh, that'd be super dope, you know, just to have the opportunity to have that. And I say, I know there's a lot of plans and stuff, to, you know, for the kind of get shovels in the dirt this summer to get those things rolling. Hopefully some of that stuff's here before the season starts next year. So hopefully you get to experience that during your time in Louisville. 100%. You know, you uh, already touched on it briefly here about how a lot of guys that come into the program, you've played both with and against, you know, being a Chicagoland area guy, that Chicago to Louisville pipeline has always been really strong. Did you communicate with any of the guys from the Chicago area to Louisville while you were in the middle of that recruiting process? I know I know I had a lot of I had a lot of friends uh, that were older than me that weren't here yet, but were committed here. Like um, it was Smitty and Eddie King at the time, just talking about them, talking to them about like what went into their game plan to come there. Yeah, and then there was just a lot of coaches who had connections with uh, McDonald and Snyder and all the feedback was good about like their reputation and stuff. So yeah, a lot of that went into my decision. It seems like, you know, Chicago, Illinois, but specifically Chicago has been a hotbed for recruiting and with Snyder coming from there. It's definitely a big focus for this staff to recruit Illinois and, and the talent they keep sending us, they can, they can keep sending it this way because we've loved every single one of them that have come down here. So uh, hope that pipeline continues. Oh, 100%. So after you actually spent your senior year at IMG Academy, 
Um, kind of talk to us about that. How, how was that experience for you? And how do you think that prepared you for Louisville, maybe in a different way that a traditional high school would have? Yeah, it definitely. I, I applaud IMG because uh, it was just, it was a different level. It was, it was almost professional. It was almost this. Like, uh, I feel like I've almost, I've already did a year of college almost. Uh, schoolwork, schoolwork's a little bit harder. Not going to lie. But, uh, yeah, they, they did a great job. Uh, all of our workouts were super professional schedules, professional throughout the week. I mean, uh, every day we were getting in work. Uh, we had a great coach there, Turgeon. He had just came from uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, one of their single-A teams, and just how he had us practice our routines every day were just outrageous. So I was looking at their website the other day, just kind of the list of commitments of you know players that played at IMG, and they had like a – uh, mock schedule of what your day would look like down there. And I was like, this is absolutely insane for high school students. So I, I can definitely see how it prepared you for, you know, coming to a place like Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Again, those schedules are like, it was, it was comparable to what I'm doing now. So like I'm adjusted to it. Yeah. So coming off your senior season at IMG, you put up just monster numbers while you were down in Florida. Great season for you. Um, you know, then you get an invite to the MLB draft combine. The combine now is in its third year after this past draft. Uh, so we've definitely seen it grown quite a bit from what it was in that first and second year. What was your draft combine experience like? It was really dope, honestly. Uh, personally, one of my best takeaways from the combine was just being around kids that have went through college and, uh, you know, getting there feedback of their experiences and that actually had a lot to do with what uh, my decision was and you know just uh understanding their processes through college uh that was really cool to have the opportunity to be with something numb and then MLB it was just like they treated us like we were adults I mean I've never been to an event where like it was on our own time to get to the field right? we had to catch our own bus to feel like it was on our time so um I think how professional they had everything set up was really cool. And it was just, it was chill. What was your thought process with the draft, heading into the draft? And why did you ultimately decide to uh, show up at Louisville and sign with the cards? Coach Mack is a very good uh, persuader on, on, he came with some good facts about school. And again, talking to kids that already went through the process of school, um, just seeing the numbers and, uh, you know, not undervaluing myself and not like, uh, you know, just taking anything. I had I had my set number and they didn't come for that number. I wasn't even thinking about it. Uh, I was for sure coming here. So, uh, yeah, I think it was it was a whole lot of mix of things towards that last month that really helped me out with my decision. You know, I think the you, you talked about earlier, you know, this is catcher you. Uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If you look at, you know, some of the guys that have come from this program and it, the, it obviously works with what they're doing, right? Like mm-hmm. we wouldn't have the the Henry Millers or the Henry Davises and the Bobby Millers and the Reed Detmers and, you know, Will Smith. We wouldn't have all these guys in the Major League Baseball right now if what they were doing wasn't working. So, you know, definitely it, the, the process that Coach McDonald and Snyder and Coach Williams have here, um, it, it, it's been proven time and time again. 100%. You know, there were a number of guys in this current recruiting class that you were 
a part of at Louisville that also were at the draft combine as well. Did you guys communicate at all about what maybe those future plans would be? And, you know, you guys, you guys obviously all stayed together now and, and now all that dust is settled. I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks like the, you know, you guys have a chance to do something really special. Did you guys communicate about that at all? Yeah. We'd all go eat dinner and stuff and just be like, damn, you know what? We all went to school, man. Like, we went Omaha for sure. Like, we all, <laughs> no, it, it was dope. Uh, just seeing everybody else, like, thoughts thoughts on school and stuff. And we all really had pretty much the same thought. Like, uh, we all valued ourselves higher. We all made our decision to come here. So, I'm really – I'm actually really excited, like you said. We got everybody here, so that's really dope. Well, I think I can speak on behalf of all Louisville baseball fans that we're all equally excited. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of already touched on it already about your adjustment from high school to college and about how IMG really prepared you for that kind of adjustment. But now that you've been on campus for a little bit now, uh, how have you managed to, you know, adapt to these life changes? You know, specifically, you know, things like workouts, summer classes, anything like that. The summer, the summer they said is going to be a little bit different from the fall. So I think it was just each week I get gradually better at my schedules. Like the first week, uh, you know, it was just really getting used to schoolwork, how I could get ahead of my schoolwork, how I could get around and open up more time. Second week was working in, getting early work. Third week was working in, getting stretches. And then I think it was just like I'm, I'm continuously building on it because, again, Schoolwork is a little bit harder, so I have to put more time towards it. But uh, it hasn't it hasn't been that bad. Where I'm like, I can I don't think I can't do it. Speaking of schoolwork, what are you planning to major in while you're here? Exercise science. Okay, good deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a fun question. Let's talk about your roommate situation a little bit. Um, I know you've been here um, about a couple weeks, maybe a month now. Who is your roommate this year? And do you have any funny stories or anything that's happened that, um, you know, as you all adjust to live with each other 24-7 now? My roommate, so my roommate is Jake Murphy. Uh, he's a he's a pitcher, left-hand pitcher. He's super cool, you know, getting, getting to know him and stuff. Uh, so for me personally, so Sundays are my cleaning days. <laughs> Sundays are the days where I'm, I'm chilling. I can do everything I need to do, get ahead, right? So it was Saturday, <laughs> and the room looks the worst on a Saturday, at least on my side. So I had uh, a couple of friends come over, right? And um, we're in the room chilling. They're like, damn, Zion, went up the room. <laughs> I was like, trust me, it's well organized when it's organized. And Jake <laughs> just sits up out of his bed. He was like sleeping. He sits up. He's like, no, it's never organized. And I was like, damn, bro. <laughs> Yo, throw me under like he's snitching on you already, <laughs> right? That's crazy. But trust me, it's clean on Sunday. <laughs> uh, so that's funny. The the roommate situation is always a good one because you know it's first time you know you know you know the guys, but you don't know them that well because you haven't lived with them or anything yet. So um, we always get some good stories um, out of the roommates when you first first get on campus. Yeah, he's cool. So now that you've kind of been there for a little while, have you gotten to know any of the upperclassmen yet and have any of them kind of taken you under their wing so far? Yeah, I, I've met a, a lot of them, actually. Beard, JT, Isaac, Trevor, <laughs> Justin. 
not under my wing, under the wing, but like from the leadership aspect, um, we look at a lot is probably Logan and uh, JT. You know, they bring a lot of energy to practices. Uh, they're always giving it their all. So that's really cool. And um, one of my favorites, though, is uh, Trevor. He makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> I say you chuckled when you said his name earlier. Do you have any story, anything about Trevor? There's a lot. There's a lot about Trevor. It's <laughs> too much. In the locker room, it gets funny. Yeah. So we we talked about the 2023 class a little bit, which obviously you're a member of. And, you know, getting the entire class to campus at any sport is a huge feat, um, even probably even more so in baseball with the draft and everything because it's set up a little bit differently. Who is someone that maybe wasn't ranked as high as some of the other members in the class that you think could be a surprise this year that maybe we need to keep an eye out for because he's a guy that could be an impact guy his freshman year? Well, I haven't I haven't been able to see any other pitchers. We haven't really all we've done is hit BP really, but uh one guy who's been consistent and he, he wasn't even not on the radar for real. But I, I don't do you guys know Alex uh, Alex Alicia? Mm-hmm. Yes, second baseman. He he's really me and him in practice. We go at it every day. Like <laughs> I try to beat him, he beats me, and you know we just keep each other on our toes. But uh, just looking from BP standard and like infield, uh, he's really good. And my boy uh, Kevin, Kevin, he's another uh, second baseman as well. He's from Florida, actually. Yeah. Southern kid, he's really nice. He got he got a lot of heart in him. It's a big class, and um, you talk about Alex. That's one. Uh, he is one that Aaron's been really high on. So Aaron's probably glad you you mentioned his name. I, he's nice. He, yeah. He's a real good deal. Well, Zion, that's all we've got for you tonight. We really appreciate you coming on. We know you're super busy right now with school and workouts and all that good stuff. So uh, appreciate you spending some time with us this evening, and um, you know catching us up on what's going on on campus and kind of your road to get here. So we look forward to. Uh, cheering you on and covering you over the next couple of years and um, just appreciate you coming on tonight. Sure. I appreciate you guys. That was a good interview. All right. Thanks, Zion. Have a good one. Uh, You too. All right. We just want to thank Zion for coming on one more time. Just appreciate him. I know college life and he probably has other things that he wants to do than sit here and talk to us about his high school career and all that good stuff. So just appreciate Zion coming on with us tonight. So next up in the class, Parker Detmers, that name probably sounds familiar to most of you because he is the little brother of Reed Detmers, who we all have learned to love over the years. Um, Parker was ranked 113th in the class, right-handed pitcher from Illinois, another big kid, 6'4", 215. He was clocked at 97 this summer, but typically he sits low to mid-90s, uh, good curveball. He's already got solid mechanics. I mean, he, he's pretty polished coming into campus. So I think he is another guy that we could possibly see spend a lot of time on the mound this summer. And he's, he's also another one that would have been drafted. But he himself has said he had a, he had a pretty big number. If somebody was going to sign him, they were going to have to – they were going to have to fork out some cash. And I, I just don't think anybody was willing to meet whatever that number was. So um, we are the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, I would like to go back real quick and point out that you said little brother. Yeah, he is <laughs> He is not so little. If you see this guy, he is a typical power right-handed arm. I kind of think of him as kind of the opposite of Reed. Reed's kind of the crafty lefty. And Parker is this just this big, powerful righty that will just chuck it by you. 
Uh, I, like you said, I think it's just another day one guy that you could see out of the bullpen. And I'm gonna gonna be a little bit bold here. I think that we see Parker Detmers in the Sunday spot and the weekend rotation by April. I wasn't even asking for like your bold statements for the season yet, and you're already giving me one. And it's, I, I had, it's I had to go bold. I, I'm a big uh, big Parker Detmers guy. You always have been. So I, I hope that comes to fruition because I think Parker's got a, a a big career at Louisville. I think he's got a, a good career. I think he's going to be a guy that. Um, like his brother, I mean, has a ton of upside. And I I don't want to always talk about Reed because I don't think that's fair to Parker. Um, but I think he he's a guy that I think we could see on the right field wall at some point in time before he leaves. And then next up, and you're going to see a common theme here when I talk about this class. You know, they're 6'3", they're 6'4", six, or like Mitchell Dean, who was a 220-ranked player in the class. He's 6'7", 220 coming out of high school. I mean, that's just a, that's a man. And he's, he's 18 years old. Um, but number 34 left-handed pitcher in the country, uh, low nineties on the radar gun already had offers from Alabama, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Oklahoma, you know, really could have gone wherever he wanted to. He actually knows Jack Perkins going back to his recruitment. When I talked to him a little bit, Jack kind of helped guide him through the process and probably played a role in Mitchell, committing to Louisville. So uh, shout out to Jack Perkins who played at Louisville a little while back. And Aaron, I know you're a big Mitchell Dean fan. What do, what do you have to add about him? Let me tell you what, a left-handed pitcher who's throwing 90 at six, seven, that's just filthy. You know, that when you add in something, you know, you have such a big frame with big velocity from the left side that that is another guy who we're gonna keep saying it over and over with this group. I think we're looking at a at a day one bullpen guy as well. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I think having as many bullpen arms, serviceable bullpen arms, is key this year. Yeah, we'll, I mean, talk, about, I, we'll talk about that a lot more, you know, as we get closer to the season. But I think you're you're spot on. If if we can have some of these younger guys step in and have maybe a larger role than you know, freshmen typically do in the past here, that's going to be huge for the success of the 2024 team. Yeah, I mean, you definitely hit it right there. I think when you look at the last couple of years, the way that the pitching staff has, has kind of come out and performed, I think we've discussed it in the past. Maybe the bullpen wasn't as bad as what we all thought it was, but I definitely think that there's a lot of room for improvement. I think that you're going to see these freshmen get a lot of opportunities that maybe may have not been there in the past because right now let's I mean let's face it I think that we're going to be looking for some answers after last season we're going to be looking for some answers in both the rotation and the bullpen so these young guys are probably going to get more chances than they would have in previous years you know we're sitting here talking about how we want um serviceable arms out of a bullpen that last year was ranked what 20th in the country in ERA. <laughs> so it's, it's not like they were that bad. I don't want to say they were because they weren't, but it was just, we didn't always have a reliable option as many reliable options. And I think this year we could see that with some of these younger guys. So the next guy we're going to touch on is George Baker. He was ranked 248th in the class. He's a catcher from Maryland. He actually transferred to Pro 5 Baseball Academy in North Carolina. George Baker, any older listeners are out there, his father was a former league, uh, former Major League Baseball player. 
Um, he's an elite defensive catcher, left-handed hitter, which we, if you follow the program much, the, uh, this staff loves left-handed hitting catchers. So we, we've seen them time and time again come through. But he had interest back to his recruitment. Uh, I talked to a summer ball coach. He had interest from TCU, Texas, South Carolina, Miami, and even Vandy was kind of keeping tabs on him. So his summer ball coach talked as much about his character as he did as a play. But he said defensively, this was back in high school, he said he could go start for a you know group of five team right then and there. So it, it, if he can get his bat to go along with you know, his play behind the plate. I think George Baker is going to be a guy that that we're going to see. Now, are we going to see Baker this year? I don't think so. We've got too many freshmen. Uh, we got another freshman catcher in Zion Rose. We've got Luke Napleton, the transfer that we've talked about. We've just we've got a long list of catchers. You've got Matt Klein and Will Veerling both coming back. So there's just a the the catcher list this year is about a mile long. But I think Baker is a guy that we will see have an impact at some point during his career. You definitely will see George Baker. This guy is an absolute man. He uh, he is a little bit old for his class. He's 19, you know, a few months already. But when he went to the draft combine, he put up one of the largest exit velos that they tracked on, on that Rapsodo machine. I think it was like 112 or 113 off the bat, which is just stupid. And, you know, we already talked about his defense. Perfect game has his uh, numbers. He's got a 184 pop time, uh, velo behind the plate of 81. You know, the kid can just do it all. And then not to mention, he's a 7'3 runner, which is pretty good for a catcher. Yeah, I think, you know, Baker, he has all the intangibles. He's got all the numbers. So I'm really excited to see him develop and kind of even grow a little bit more because – you know, he's he's really got a year to play with before his number is going to be called. So I, I'm really excited to see what Baker is going to be able to do in the future. And just a couple more to touch on. Thomas Howard, a local kid from Lexington, Frederick Douglass High School. Again, here we go with another size, 6'4", 225 as an 18-year-old coming to campus. Just a, a huge kid. He actually has a uh, scholarship offer from Kentucky to play tight end. So just, I mean, he's just an all-around athlete. He was the number three player in Kentucky. He's up to low 90s. Probably a bullpen guy this year, maybe. I think I think we will see um, him in some appearances. Freshman, you, you never know. But I think I think Tucker, I think Thomas has um, has all the tools, and I think we'll definitely see his role increase as he gets older too. And the, another local guy I want to touch on is Ty Stark. St. X, number one player in the state, um, 6'6", 180. Obviously, got to put some weight on, but he's he's at the right place to do that. They'll get him in the weight room. They'll get him on a my eating schedule. They can just – if they just want to get some weight on, just call me, and I can tell them exactly what to do. <laughs> I can take care of that. Um, so, but anyways, <laughs> you know, Stark, get, get some weight on him. He's already touching 90. But as he fills into that frame, I mean, that, that number is just going to grow. So another um, big kid, and like you, you were talking about with Mitchell Dean earlier, you know, if you've got a lefty that, that, that big coming off the mound, the ball is just – it's already so much closer to you. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've seen a picture of Ty Stark and you look up, you know, a, a de- dictionary definition of lanky, this is, <laughs> this is Stark. The dude can pitch, though. We mm-hmm. – was an absolute stud at St. X in, in town. 
And I'm I'm super high on him. I think, like you said, once you get him on a meal plan and in the weight room and he continues to fill out that frame, it is so projectable. I think the sky is the limit for him. I think we're looking at a future weekend rotation guy. And he went down to that. I don't remember who put it on that national championship tournament that was preseason before the high school baseball season started. I think it was down in North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. He went down there and he was the game one starter for Kentucky, the whole state. Or I'm sorry, it was for St. X. It was individual teams that went down. And he was the game one starter for them. And if I'm not mistaken, he picked up a win and had a really, really good outing down there against a nationally ranked team. Yeah, I think it's a very good thing that he was he's been long committed by that point yeah. because he made a lot of of heads turn nationwide at that tournament. And I think he kind of flew under the radar up until that moment. And so you know, it was really good to see him break out that way on, on a national stage. And I think, this, like I said, the sky is the limit for him. And last one I'm going to touch on is Trey Swiderski. He is an outfielder from Joliet Catholic High School. Um, if that sounds familiar to you, that's because that's where Christian Napchik played. So he's another big kid, 6'3", 205. And I throw his name on here. The outfield is going to be crowded this year. So I'm, I'm not here to say that he's going to – Swiderski is going to play – this year, but I've just heard really good things about him so far. Now they haven't been here too terribly long. They've been taking, you know, BP and just taking swings and stuff like that. But I've, um, for multiple people, I've heard positive things about him and what they've seen from him in just the short time he's been on campus. So just want to throw that name out there as another guy that um, we could see an impact from this year. So Aaron, I know you've been waiting for this the whole time. Um, and I, I always put it at the end and you just chomp at the bit because you want to talk about <laughs> your pro ball update. <laughs> so, so you go ahead and take it over from here and uh, let us know everything that's been going on with the cards and the pros lately. Cause it, it's been a, it's been a busy time. It has been a very busy time, you know, after the draft watching guys get signed and, uh, you know, a guy who was an undrafted free agent signed last year, Cam Masterman, he's kind of flown under the radar but he just got promoted to double A in the A's organization. A, kind of a necessary move for him, making that jump from A ball up to double A, just given his age. And he's had a very strong start so far, hitting around 300. It's the ball very hard. You know, like we saw at Louisville, the, the dude can definitely swing it. He, there is some, you know, swing and miss to his game that he's going to have to refine before he continues to move up that organization. But I, I do think there is a possibility that we've seen, you know, a, an undrafted free agent steal by the Athletics and Cam Masterman. Where are they playing him right now? Are they keeping him in left field? So he's actually getting some first base time now. He's I, been, I was wondering if he was. Yeah, been a, he's been in uh, left field and first base. Okay. That, I always, you know, I always thought first base could be an option for him while, when he was here just because, we, we, you know, we've had a crowded outfield. Um, but he, he never spent time over at first. But I, I wondered if he would ever get to play first at the next level. Yeah, he's definitely got the prototypical professional first base frame. So he's definitely he's getting some looks there now. <clears throat> and uh, my, my second point for tonight, I'm going to try and not get too frustrated here, is that Devin Mann and Tyler Fitzgerald are somehow not on major league rosters yet. Both of them just tearing the cover off the ball in AAA. Have hit a lot of home runs, a lot of extra base hits for both of them. Uh, to be quite honest, it's pretty pathetic that neither one of them are up with their big league team. Man with the Dodgers and Fitzgerald with the Giants. I do think that you know we're recording this a day before the trade deadline. 
I do think that there is a possibility that Devin Mann goes tomorrow and could potentially be a major leaguer by the end of the week, depending on what team he goes to. Uh, we will we'll see what uh, what develops there. His passion, his blood pressure getting up right now that you are getting to experience. I get that on a daily basis when something happens. He, <laughs> he lights me up with it. He gets so frustrated with these organizations that won't call up Louisville players. Well, you know, you've, you've said it time and time again. Every time you get on Twitter, those two are doing something <laughs> tremendous. Oh, you're it's spot on. <laughs> it's ridiculous that they're still in AAA. Yeah, I, then, I, I follow know, them through you. That's where I get most of my – you know, updates on that stuff. And I, I, every time I pull up Twitter, I feel like Devin Mann hits a home run. Or I, I'm sorry, every time I pull up X, Devin Mann hits a home run. <laughs> I'm going to touch on just one more thing here. You know, we said that we're recording this a day before the trade deadline. Uh, there's been a lot of trade rumors with Adam Duvall. You could potentially see a reunion with the Giants, who he started with. Could potentially see him at Atlanta, Miami, and uh, Philly have all apparently checked in with Boston about Adam Duvall. So by the time this episode drops, Adam Duvall may no longer be a Red Sox. Don't really know too much yet. He's kind of been a name that's kind of flown under the radar so far. But for a team that needs an outfielder, I think he'll be an intriguing option tomorrow. How's Dalton Rushing doing? I know we talk about him from time to time. It seems like he had a really hot streak there for a while. What, what's Dalton up to right now? So, actually, he is currently listed as day-to-day. He Mm -hmm. left the game on, I believe it was Friday, left with an injury in the first inning, did not um, hear what that injury was. So far, it's been undisclosed. So, hoping for a speedy recovery to Dalton, whatever that injury may be. And then just one more note on the injury front. Cade McClure is done for the year, recently got season-ending surgery. Once again, the injury was undisclosed, but he was walking around with a sling and was announced that he's done for the season. So I would imagine it was an arm injury for Cade. So wishing for a speedy recovery for him, too. At least he didn't kick a water cooler like Jared Kilenek did out in Seattle and get uh, get put day to day for that. So, yeah, that was that's not a that's not Jared's brightest moment. <laughs> He once committed to Louisville. He would have been a big time get to get here on campus, but I think it worked out for him the route he went. I didn't get this question a lot, so I just want to ask you because I know you could probably answer it a lot better than than I can. What's going on with McKay? I mean, is there is there much of a future for him? I mean, can he get back? What's going on with him this year? So right now he is recovering from Tommy John surgery. He got that in during the off season. No, he got it last season. Anyways, so after last season, he was released by the Rays to get him off the 40-man, and he ended up signing a two-year minor league contract with the Rays. So this year is a pretty much a recovery year for him to bounce back from Tommy John. You will probably see him start to slowly return in spring training of 2024. I do think that he is a... If he is going to make a big league return, it will be in the Rays bullpen. I don't I do think that his days as a starter are done just because of how injury prone he has been. Uh the Rays did not really like his bat either. He got a chance to to do both in minor league ball, and they pretty much made him just a, a pitcher only when he made his when he made his major league debut in 2019. 
So I think that we will slowly see him start to ramp up a little bit in spring training 2024. And hopefully he'll be back on that big league roster sometime in the middle of next season. You know, I hate it for Brendan more than anything because, you know, he's as good as they come, you know, super guy. He's quiet. Doesn't, you know, doesn't say a whole lot, but you just hate to see it from anybody, but especially somebody that's, you know, Brendan, just a, just a, you know, down to earth, just a good guy that works his tail off. So hopefully he can, you know, get this thing back on the right track and get back in the bullpen one day. I mean, the dude is an absolute warrior. I I think that there is definitely a good possibility that he does make his way back to the league. And when he does, it's going to be a tremendous comeback story. You know, he has not pitched in Major League Baseball since since uh, 2019. So it, it's been a long time coming for Brendan and hoping for a speedy, uh, speedy and, and healthy recovery. And hopefully he can get back there next season. Definitely, because we uh, we want all the pro cards back in uh, Major League Baseball. That way you can follow them and update us and tell everybody what they're doing, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> all right, well, that's all we got for you all tonight. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I know we had a lot of information, but just um, a lot going on about kind of who's in, who's out as far as a transfer portal, the draft, and recruiting class. So just uh, I know there's not a whole lot going on on the field this time of year. But there's just a lot of like transaction type thing that to catch up on just so we kind of know who's going to hit the field next year. So that's all we got tonight. But until next time, Aaron, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at my personal account at AJTurn22, or you can follow the alumni at the Louisville Baseball Alumni Report. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt Sefkovic or on Card Chronicle. And in the famous words of Sean Moth, we will see you at the ballpark. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.